Hi, friends. Welcome back to Marketing Trailblazers. This is Jess Tackett. And I'm Jeremy LaDuke. And I'm your local intern, Lauren. Yeah. Yeah. This is episode eight, y'all. It is. That means, you know what next episode is going to be? Epic, Epic nine. nine. Whoa! Yeah. Did I steal your thunder? Yeah, so a little oh, bit. Sorry, that's okay. Um, so end of the year. Yeah. Who has yeah. New Year's resolutions? Oh Lord, I didn't think I'd get this far. Um, let's see. <laughs> In life, <laughs> I mean, we're. <laughs> How did the first part of the year start out for you? It was a very different. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, this year was way better than the last. Um, I'd say next year I'll be graduating college. Thank the Lord. That's mm-hmm. exciting. Mm-hmm. So all my New Year's resolution is to find housing cool. <laughs> oh. and get a and get a normal job that will pay me stable money, so I can you know get the rent going. So that'll be really fun, <laughs> and maybe marry my boyfriend. So oh wow. what wow. oh okay yeah, all right yeah have a turn okay yeah. that'd be cool yeah okay. got some things in the works <laughs> are you are you engaged? For the sake of this recording, not yet, but it'll be happening soon, like before Christmas. So, okay, well, oh, it, um, yeah. What's his name? Austin. Austin is Austin listening? Uh, he knows I work on a podcast here. Okay, all right. Does he know he's proposing? Yes. Okay. All right. Yes. Well, good. Good. <laughs> yes, just, he does. Just, <laughs> does he know you know he's proposing? <laughs> well, he knows that. Yeah, he knows that. Like, I know it's coming along. He just isn't telling me like what day it is. But See? he knows that I'm getting excited. So Austin, that you doesn't get, necessarily mean it's before Christmas because I had the same thing and it took <laughs> a couple more months and he drug it out just to do it. Well, it's really fun because I'm, I'm like, so do you think it'll be this week? He's like, maybe, I don't know. And we have like a bunch of stuff to do this weekend and I'm like, maybe it's a shot in the dark. We'll see. All right. I well, just, yeah. Yeah. 2024 is going to be a real solid year for you. It's going to be crazy. Right? Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. All right. Yeah. And Austin, if you're listening, you better get it together before Christmas. <laughs> you're killing it. <laughs> I got a good feeling. All right. Good. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're, rooting, we're rooting for you. <laughs> Thank you. Rooting for you, Austin. You I'm, I'm excited for the day that I come in for a meeting and Jeremy's like, what mountains have we climbed? And then I can actually give him something this time. There you go. You're like, here's my personal Got it. cage. <laughs> I've been waiting. <laughs> what about you, Jess? Oh, I have New Year's no idea. Um, I usually don't start my resolutions until my birthday in January because it's the 11th. So I feel like that's really when the year starts for me. Mm. Um, and that also helps me remember like when things happened in the past because I'm like, oh, that was that year. I was that age for that whole year, basically. That's going to be like if you're it, having your birthday that it close makes to the sense in of the year. my brain. <laughs> yeah. oh, so um, I'm... Resolutions, you know, finish working on house stuff, typical things, be a healthy, happy human. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's good. That's, I don't know. That sounds like very generic. Too, well, if you get too specific, then you're just setting yourself up <laughs> for failure. <laughs> that is what I have learned. If I keep it vague, I'm like, chick. Got that done. You know? I woke up today. I mean, you know? You can complete the bare minimum. You're do- you're doing more than most. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Uh, Judgy? Think, so I'm probably just going to re-up my um, resolution from last year because I, I didn't really do it as much as I wanted to. But uh, read more and hike more. That's my that's my two big things. Oh, yeah. Okay, like, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, a couple of years, the hiking thing, I was going to do, like, one major trail a month, and I was kind of on it, and, and it just kind of fell off. 
um, to this. You year fell on. off the trail. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh no. <laughs> but at Epic Nine, you can. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Um, no, but that, that's that's my two things. If I could do those two things more, I think I'd be in a much better spot. Do you read, read, or do you audiobook, or both? I like if it's fiction, I'll audiobook. Um, but nonfiction, I have to read, read because I just wind up not paying attention to it if it's if it's audiobook. Sometimes. Fair enough. Do you do book books or do you do like Kindle or something? Oh, book books for sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, well, same. What about you guys? Um, if I can spring for it, I'm a hardcover kind of gal. Yeah. But, but I can, but I can live with the paperback. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a book book person. Um, I know with traveling though, I have used the Kindle app, and that is easier when you're trying to not get sand in your book. <laughs> Yeah, uh, <laughs> I wasn't picturing the beach, but uh, yeah, no. I would use I would use a book book at the beach, so because I'd be afraid of getting sand in the Kindle. That's true. That's so, fair. Yeah. I was more so just thinking like Kindle on like a plane or something is a lot easier. Oh, it is yeah. a lot book. easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, solid today, resolutions. Yeah, today um, we're not talking about resolutions. Uh, we are talking about um, fractional CMO, and, and so. Uh, Prasid Patak, CEO of Airframe Labs, is going to talk to us about what fractional CMOing is and whether you might want to consider it for your business, whether you are a CEO or yourself a CMO. Um, a fractional CMO can be a, uh, a big help to get you to the next level in your business. So without further ado, let's get this fire blazing. Proceed. Thank you for joining us on Marketing Trailblazers. Pull up, uh, pull up a log by the campfire. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Well, tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing with Airframe Labs and some of your uh, your notable clients that you're you're working with right now. Sure. Um, so I uh, am a growth consultant who, kind of on accident, has kind of fallen into this career as a fractional CMO, and so. Um, I started out helping startups full-time, did that for about, I don't know, 17 years at this point or something. And about uh, three or four years ago, started doing growth consulting and then uh, sort of stepped up into uh, a, like a consulting CMO role for a handful of different companies. And, and that's really become a thing now. So now I've done that three or four times. Uh, I guess I've had about, I don't know, 10, 15 clients over the last four years. And, um, and three or four of them have been this new kind of fractional CMO model. It is a fascinating uh, world where the fractional CMOs uh, are, are kind of yeah. coming to the top of the surface and um, we're seeing a lot more of them. Uh, most of our audience is going to be in that marketing director or maybe even in that CMO role. So um, for those of that may not know what a fractional CMO is, kind of from, from your perspective, what's that involve? Yeah, it's, it, I had never, you know, I actually had a mentor who effectively was a fractional CMO back when I was uh, a director of marketing at, at SoFi, and th- there was no term for it back then. The terms only seem to have emerged in the past couple of years. But essentially, I'm coming into companies, there are a couple of like unique kind of inflection points where someone like me can make sense. But essentially, I'm coming into companies, um, and I'm kind of trying to help uh, the existing team do things a little bit better. So one example is um, I just started working with a company 
where they just raised their kind of pre-seed round. They haven't gone to market at all yet. This is, you know, so they're like a team of 10, uh, raised just a couple million dollars and is just trying to figure out what their go-to-market strategy is going to be. And, you know, I think about Presidif 10 years ago versus Presid now. They could go and hire Presidif 10 years ago, and he's he's a smart, peppy guy, and he's going to work really hard, but he might completely run the wrong direction. And the company's going to make a lot of mistakes and they're going to, you know, burn through a lot of capital and, you know, maybe go to market too early, maybe go to market without having thought everything else through. So now before they go and hire Presid of 10 years ago, they can hire me and I can come in in like a limited capacity, maybe just spending five hours a week with them to find the strategy, think some things through, and then I'll help them hire uh, like a younger uh, Presid who can be full-time and who can crush things. But like, with someone older, kind of a little bit more experienced, a little more strategic, maybe looking over his shoulder or her shoulder, um, helping to guide the the strategy part. Yeah, that that makes that makes a lot of sense. So, as a in in your world, the fractional CMO role is is much more strategic, and you're working with some one person or sometimes a team of people that are that are doing the nuts and bolts types of things. Yeah. So in a you know the other kind of inflection point. So the first inflection point I talked about is like, let's say the company is has just raised around and they need to figure out how to go to market. The other inflection point is companies already, you know, maybe like 100, 200 people. Um, this with the example being Coding Dojo, with, which I was working with for about three years, actually, is already a couple hundred people, already has a marketing team of, you know, 5, 10, 15. Um, but growth has been flat and they've got a problem and they need to figure out how to solve it. And... The CEO might be thinking to himself or herself uh, that, uh, you know, do I need to fire this VP of marketing who's running things right now? And, um, and or do I need to layer them? Do I need to bring in a new full-time CMO over them? And so before you take a drastic measure like that, maybe you can bring someone like me in and I can say, no, no, no. In this case, Steven was the VP of marketing at Echo and I And I'll say, no, no, no. Steven's fantastic. He's incredibly hardworking. He's very sharp. He knows what he's doing. Here are some big opportunity. Like Steven's background is pay, you know, paid search ads and visual design. So you guys are crushing in those areas. But Steven's kind of weak on conversion optimization. He's never worked with a sales org before. Here are some big opportunities that maybe Steven and the team are missing. Let me help you unlock those opportunities. Don't get rid of Steven. And don't layer Steven, but let me kind of help. Cool. Yeah. So how do you determine what kind of help the company needs, whether it's consulting a fractional CMO, full-on CMO, are there certain benchmarks or parameters you look for? Is it truly just case by case? Yeah, it's totally, like every business is totally different, right? I mean, those are probably the two um, paradigms I'm seeing a lot is either we we don't know exactly what our go-to-market should be or we're in market and we're not growing like we want to be, right? And um, and then within that, there's, you, you know, depending on like the business model and stuff, there's lots of specific KPIs, right? So so like 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 an example might be with um, one of the startups I was working with, we're running paid ads and it, the, the business model is it's a free service and then we're hoping some percentage of the people who sign up for the free tier will upgrade to the paid, paid tier, but we're spending over a thousand dollars to acquire a paid user on you know on 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 linkedin ads and and so so like what is your cac and what is your expected ltv right like the expected L- ltv of the free user is zero 
the expected LTV of the paid user is maybe two hundred dollars a year. So the the, the you know cap to LTV ratio yeah is, is way out of whack there. So we need to get into completely different channels where we can get the CAC down under you know twenty dollars if if that like you know depending on what we're trying to achieve. What uh, when you're when you're thinking through the the role as a fractional CMO, where's that line come in? Uh, what where's a fractional CMO just become a regular CMO? Yeah, I think that's an important question, right? I think um, there's a couple of ways to think about it. One, like with the example of Coding Dojo, Steven was fantastic. He was working like, you know, like crazy hours. He was giving everything over to the company. And I, I've been Steven before, right? And I, I remember, you know, like when I worked for Block.io, working like a dog and grinding out uh, the revenue growth and trying to make the company successful. And then I remember getting layered where they brought in a, Cheap oper- like I was reporting directly to the CEO and I thought things were going great and they kind of felt maybe Prasid's reaching his ceiling. And so they brought a chief operating officer in over me and I very much resented that. I was very angry. He is, his name's Clint. He's now a, a dear friend, but I was pretty pissed at him for the first year. <laughs> yeah. But they were right. There were strategic gaps and I was spending too much of my time kind of working in the business and not enough time working on the business. And so they needed someone else. And and now I know better. And so I try to be a better Clint. <laughs> I try to, you know, mm. Clint was a little bit sharp elbowed when he came in and I resented him for a long time. So now what I do is I, I come in and I, I'm coaching younger VPs of marketing like Steven, like Leah at Easy Knock. Um, and I think what they would tell you is that Persid was pretty gentle with us. And Persid made sure that we, as the kind of full-time head of marketing, that Persid was kind of coming in and helping. We felt like we still had a lot of ownership. We felt like we were still growing in our careers and there was a lot that we could continue to learn from Persid. So that's how I try to set things up. And then I'm pretty upfront with the CEOs that I work with that like, this may not be a forever thing, right? I might be able to come in here, unlock a lot of opportunity for a couple quarters, and then maybe we kind of downshift into more of like a um, advisory capacity that's a little bit less hands-on, a lot less kind of time per week. Um, and so that's usually, uh, and in a lot of cases, like with the case of Coding Dojo, I'll help them hire their next CMO or their next kind of VP of marketing. So in the case of Coding Dojo, I ran the search to find a new VP of marketing. And then once he was hired and onboarded, it was like a natural um, kind of ratcheting down point where I went from uh, spending maybe 20 hours a week on the business to only spending about five hours on the business. And then we got acquired and then I, I stopped working with the business. So the way you do things, you're very flexible with it. Um, do you feel like that helps people or helps companies that are going to have a fractional CMO for the first time? Does that help ease that transition a little bit? Yeah, I mean, as an outsider. <laughs> Yeah, I think from a sanity point of view, maybe it'd be better if I had like, you know, a very rigid approach. But I think in terms of like making the company successful, this really does have to be a very tailored approach. I think now that I've done it so many times, I am starting to see, you know, some kind of structural pattern. So I am trying to bring a little bit more structure as I do this more and more. For the person that might be listening and thinking, all right someone in this role like this dude may like take my job yeah right uh how how do you um how do you address those fears and concerns yeah i mean pretty much every startup i've worked with has offered me a full-time job i've turned all of them down and i think i have to so it is important when i come in that i you know build a 
build rapport with the team and that I tell Steven, I, I, we're going to keep using Steven now the whole conversation. I, I, I was very upfront with Steven that like, look, like, I like this fractional lifestyle. I like having, you know, my hands inside the guts of like three companies at a time. I'm, you know, I'm not going to do full time. You do not have to feel threatened. Um, and I told him the story of what happened when I worked at Block and got layered by Clint. And I was like, I never want you, Stephen, to feel like that. So let's make sure that however we structure things, you're feeling a lot of ownership. You're feeling like you're the one kind of, um, there's this like metaphor of like, who's holding the pencil? Who's actually kind of like in the driver's seat? And so I try to think about my role as not holding the pencil. Steven's holding the pencil. The team's kind of holding the pencil. And I'm just trying to guide. That said, I'm willing to be very executional. And in a lot of ways, sometimes I kind of operate as though I'm, you know, working for, for Steven, even though I'm really working for his boss. But um, I, I almost never, you will never, he, as a fractional CMO, you will never hear me utter an order. Everything is through influence, not through authority necessarily. Mm. That's that's um, a great piece of advice for anybody out there thinking about being a fractional CMO. Um, and we need to make sure Stephen listens <laughs> to this episode. I'll send uh, it can, to him. <laughs> we can put him in the credits. Co-starring yeah. Stephen um, from from yeah. Coding Dojo. That's right. So the the folks that are coming to you looking for fractional CMO services, um, where what sort of position are they like? What sort of roadblocks have they hit um, where they're like, all right, we need some we need some help. Right. So if, if someone's out there listening and they're in the they're in the traditional VP of marketing or or marketing director role and they're thinking, man, something like this could help me. What where do you typically see a fractional CMO coming in and helping the most? Yeah. So in a lot of cases, what I see with businesses is they've gotten to traction on the backs of, you know, maybe like one or two channels. Right. And maybe now they're hitting a plateau. And they're not exactly sure how to keep going, how to keep the growth going. Or more now in like the current kind of fundraising environment the past year, you've got companies that maybe were growing in unsustainable ways and now they need to be profitable. And so they need to quickly squeeze dramatically more efficiency out of the business. And so the, that that, yes. that tends to be so like to, to like make it more specific, right? So when I came into, I don't want to keep going back to coding notion. Let's use a different example. When I came into Booksy, um, they're they're doing fantastic, but um, they they have a little bit of a um, greener marketing team, and the marketing team was kind of maybe a, a little bit more overweight on brand marketing and a little maybe underweight on growth marketing. And so that's where they were like, we need to beef up our growth marketing talent. So I'm helping with hiring, and I'm helping with. Uh, what is the right profile that we want to hire for? And I'm helping with um, getting the email marketing team thinking not just about kind of their local metrics like open rate and click-through rate, but more kind of like global metrics of how's the kind of macro conversion rate from this part of the funnel to this part of the funnel and how can email journeys move that metric. Yes. That's great. Um, what do you see some some of the common challenges or limitations that uh, startups um, and fractional CMOs in general uh, face? Yeah, I mean, the the one that's kind of top of mind for everybody right now is that funding dried up, right? And so everyone has to get to break even profitable um, because the, uh, the 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 venture capital party ended, right? So that that's definitely top of mind in tech, right? The, then 
kind of building upon that is a lot of people are having layoffs. They're having to do more with less. Um, so they're having to figure out how to automate things away. They're having to think about um, like, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. I was working with a company that has a really big kind of post-sale customer success team. And, you know, in uh, marketing and sales, we are heavy adopters of automation tools, right? So for example, using a tool like Outreach or, you know, the old one was Yesware, HubSpot has uh, sequences. These are all like sales automation tools, right? Or having kind of structured like lead statuses and deal st opportunity stages in Salesforce and like when deal makes or when opportunity makes it to this stage, a certain email is triggered or certain like notifications are fired. All, all that automation that marketing and salespeople love, customer success teams, they're in a different department. They don't have budget to buy those fancy tools, so they never really learn to use them. So I worked with this uh, one company and we were able to take their team of kind of eight customer success managers and really start to automate away a lot of the low leverage work that they were doing, like scheduling QBRs with every customer, like you know rolling out features, like automating the onboarding journey so that the team could kind of focus on the higher leverage stuff that really moves the needle in terms of retaining customers. So those are, you know, those are some of the kind of more interesting opportunities I got to work on. That's exciting. What, what up to this point has been probably your favorite experience, uh, as a fractional CMO? Ooh, that's interesting. I don't want to keep going back to coding. Digital. That one was really fun because I got to work on just about everything. Um, right. Like got to work on really technical stuff related to like how data flows from like the CRM back up into the ad platforms and how we can like automate things. I got to work on, um, really creative stuff. Like let's adjust the pricing model. And like with one pricing change, we were able to drive like 20% more revenue for the company for the year. Like that one change was probably like the single biggest needle mover. And, you know, this is a company that's doing, you know, eight figures in revenue a year already. Um, and so then to be able to like drive 20% growth on that with one change was really exciting. Um, so that that's probably been the most, the, the most fun one just because I got to work on so many different things. So the, the automation side is, it, personally, it's one of those things I, I love. I love like making all the, the wires yeah. connect and, and seeing yeah, all the things happen. Um, where do you see that as being worth the time and energy to, to create it and to maintain it? And where does it just become too much, right, in terms of scale? Um, because, I mean, I think we can almost, and we're encouraged a lot in our culture, in the marketing culture, just to automate things mm -hmm. to death. Um, and then, you know, one thing breaks and, and, and everything kind of falls <laughs> apart. So where, where do you, where have you seen that in your experience as, okay, um, when you're making this much money or you have this many customers, this is when it starts making sense to really start automating these things. Yeah. So, I mean, every business is different. Let's, let's pick like, what's like an easy example. Do you want to do like a B2B example or a B2C example? Something that's easy to latch onto. Let's do like let's do just your your basic your e-commerce. Yeah, store, I love that. Right. Yeah. So let's, like you're, you've got a, a consumer a consumer oriented e-commerce. Yeah. So like you know the basic automations that you want to be doing there, right? Is one you want to have like like the the, the 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 paradigm that I'm seeing everywhere, right? Is that user lands on page, you have a pop up modal asking for an email, right? Because you spent all this money to get them here. If they bounce away without getting their email address, then the money was for nothing. You're going to have to spend more money to retarget to them, bring them back. So if you can get the email, now you can remarket to them for free forever, right? So you get the email. 
Now you want to be dropping them in some type of like email nurture program. When they fall off the end of that email nurture program, you maybe want to put them on like some type of cold email nurture program. In addition to that, maybe you want to be doing like, you know, blasts, right? That are kind of one, uh, you know, seasonal things, right? We're doing a Black Friday sale. We're doing a uh, whatever. What 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 just happened? A Labor Day sale and so on, right? So so that stuff can't necessarily be automated, but at least that like the first nurture program and the second nurture program can be automated. Additionally, if they make it further in the funnel and they take an action, like they look at a specific product or maybe they add a specific product to their cart, you can be automating the like, I saw that you looked at this product, it didn't check out. Then like a second drip in that, that is, do you want a coupon with that? Then a third drip that is, you know, maybe like we're limiting, you know, we're running out of stock of that item. Do the same thing for the add add to cart. That stuff really, really works, right? And that stuff, those types of automations can dramatically improve the um, the CAC on the for the business, right? Because um, I don't know about, especially, you know, like maybe a pair of socks, you know, is uh, something you'd buy immediately. But like, you, let's say it's something like, um, I don't know, what am I looking at right now? I'm, I'm, I'm buying pure protein, whey protein, right? Like just because I saw an ad this min- minute doesn't mean I'm necessarily in the market to buy a new case of pure protein. Maybe I have a, 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 I just went to Costco. So you're not going to get me right now, but in like a week or two might be the right time for me to purchase. So, um, so, so the, the ROI on that ad gets dramatically better if you're following up with me and the ROI on that ad gets dramatically better. If you see that I looked at a specific product and now you're remarketing to me about that very specific product. So, so that type of stuff is a no-brainer. Always do that type of automation. Then there's stuff that's like, you know, further automating. Like, so for example, I don't know, what's a good example? The, the like, after you purchased sending a reminder to see if I want to buy more of that product exactly 30 days later because that's the average. Like, that stuff makes a lot of sense too. I would do that stuff. I would automate all of that. So... I don't know, maybe I'm maybe I'm too much of an automator, but like so far we haven't found an example where I wouldn't want you to automate it. Makes sense. I I know from my experience, sometimes I spend a lot of time and energy creating an automation and then like coming back to it like a month later and I'm like, eh, it didn't really do what I thought it was going to do. And so I think there's, there's a lot of trial and error with it. Um, one of the things I love about Airframe, uh, your company, is is your um, uh, foundation on the the fast iteration process and the whole Boyd's <laughs> yeah. Boyd's law? Which when I was when I was reading through kind of your LinkedIn and some descriptions, I was like, what? I've never heard of Boyd's law, so I went and looked it up. And uh, the, this fascinating how they coined that from the um, trial and error process they had between two fighter pilots, right? So they had the MIG fighter pilot and I think the F eight something or another, and um, they they found out that even though the MIG jet was technically so much better, the pilots could fly the, the F-80 um, faster and maneuver it better to iterate the process it takes to shoot the other pilot down. I'm assuming they weren't, like, actually shooting each other down. I'm, I'm assuming it was, like, you know, lasers or, you know, paintballs <laughs> or something. Um, but they evidently they studied this, and they found that if you can iterate faster, you can you can shoot people I down faster. I actually did not know that was the origin of it, but yeah, that totally makes sense, right? Because you spend all this time like getting into the air, and then you only get one you know one shot to to try, and then you you don't you're not learning as yes. much. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, it was it was it was crazy. the the thing the the biggest difference they found was that the flight controls in the MIG were manual, and the flight controls in the in the other one were hydraulic. And so, as the as the MIG fighter pilot uh, was making all these maneuvers, they were getting t- more tired quickly. But the other guy could just keep on. He could do. He could you know fly his loop and and iterate faster to to Dude. target the the other jet better. Um, yeah, it was fun, fun little yeah, tidbit of knowledge that. there for, yeah. for everybody. I, it also makes me think about like compound interest. I was talking about that with, uh, someone with one of the companies I work with today, right? The idea that like, you know, you do, let's say like a landing page experiment and you get a 2% gain by figuring out that like, you know, reduce the number of fields on the form from three to one. We increase the c- kind of conversion rate on the form by 2%. Then Next week, you run another test and you figure out that like in our email drip series, we can, we, we A-B tested and we figured out that like this version of the email drip series where we focus on one benefit versus the other benefit, that, that benefit A converts 2% better, right? So now you're stacking one optimization on, on top of another, right? So that's 2% gain times 2% gain. That's a 4% gain. Now the week, you know, week later, you, you do another experiment somewhere else in the funnel and you get it maybe on the add to cart uh, abandoned cart email, you get another 2% gain there. Now th- that's stacking on top of the other one. So now you're getting 2% times 2%. It's not two plus two plus two equals six. It's actually two times two times two times two equals eight. And then the, and you do one more and now you're at 16. And so the, the optimizations keep stacking on top of one another. And all of a sudden, if you can ship, you know, four, six, eight optimizations, uh, on top of each other in, in, you know, in six months, you've actually improved the funnel by 40, 50%, it turns out, right? Like huge numbers that you can move from little 2% gains, but lots of them, you know, every couple of weeks. Cool. So uh, um, one of the other buzzwords we've been hearing a lot uh, has been uh, modular marketing. And I know you've got <laughs> obviously some experience in that. Um, what what are the key principles from your perspective? How do you define it? What what exactly does that mean to you? Yeah, so I think this this came up uh, when we were chatting earlier. So when I was working for Mirror, uh, which was the it was like a the fitness mirror that got sold to Lululemon is now called I think Lululemon Studio or something. Um, when I was working for them, what I realized is that you know this the old way which is like Jack Welch, you start at the bottom of GE and you work there for four years and you end up as CEO and then you retire and you spend your whole career at one company. That's the old way. That's gone. Now, the new way is, you know, people are doing, you know, short one to three year tours of duty um, at different companies. So that that's like, we're already seeing that. But I think the next step is going to be hiring really, really experienced specialists in strategic areas and maybe they are sort of mercenaries. They're not full-time employees. And then you have a lot of glue around them that is maybe full-time employees. So what I saw at Mirror is we were trying to do a very hard thing, right? Like it's a it's a hardware product. It's really expensive. It's, it costs $1,000. It's meant to be a really premium product. So she had hired, you know, really unique specialists. She had folks who were really good at hardware design. She had pe- people who were really good at like retail because you have to touch and feel this type of product. She had people like me, who are really good at marketing. And then I remember she had one really senior specialist who was also fractional like me, who was a, um, you know, specialized in logistics of how do you get like a product manufactured in China 
distributed and delivered and like what does that white glove delivery experience need to look like so so she had all these mercenaries like me and like that woman who specialized in kind of distribution fulfillment um and then she had a bunch of like you know young generalist folks being kind of the glue between us but that that's kind of what i mean when i talk about modular marketing is that the old way might have been you you form a full full-time team to go build a startup and i think the future is going to be more like more like how you make a movie right a different like set of people come together they ship one movie and then they all disband and then a slightly different set of people come together maybe the same director knows the same producer they work together again but the actors are different the you know staff is different um craft services vendor is different um and they ship another movie and then they disband and i think that's where business is headed and startups are headed is you're going to have much more flexible teams where one team comes together as specialists to solve one stage of the problem and then disbands and another team comes together to solve a different stage of the problem and then disbands. Hmm. Kind of like uh, the Avengers almost. Yeah, of, of I love that. Business. I want to be Iron Man. It, well, um, and I'm, I'm, I may steal the phrase marketing mercenaries. I think that, that could be a good... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Use that somewhere down the road. So... You're you're going to pitch somebody the idea of a fractional CMO, right? How do you get buy-in from people that maybe typically aren't familiar with this um, or are a little are a little hesitant to it? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I think the I think I would kind of go back to what we were talking about before. With uh, you know, there's a startup that I was working with recently where we, you know, the CEO had like a strong point of view about the go to market plan. This is a marketplace startup. So there's like, um, you know, there's like providers on one side of the marketplace and consumers on the other side of the marketplace. And he was pretty excited about like, all right, we're going to go direct to consumer. We're going to build up a base there. And then we're going to turn around and we're going to go get the provider side of the marketplace onto the platform. And we talked twice and on accident, I wasn't trying to do this. I completely turned him around on what the right go-to-market strategy ought to be. And now we're gonna we're gonna focus on going provider first, and then we'll swing back around and do the consumer in a couple quarters. But like he's very convinced that you know after talking to me for a couple hours that that's the right thing to do now. And so if he had hired Persidib ten years ago, Persidib ten years ago would have been like, yes, you know, you want to go after consumers? All right, let's do it. And Persidib ten years ago would have leapt straight into action and he would have been spent, you know, burning through like $20,000 a week in ad spend trying to get it done. And maybe we would have hit a wall and figured out we can't do it. Or we're spending, like we talked about before, maybe $1,000 per consumer to, to acquire them. And that that's no bueno. Um, and so the fact that you have someone with a little more experience who's going to challenge assumptions and is going to kind of force difficult conversations and make sure that we really have a coherent strategy rather than le leaping straight into execution turns out that's worth something and turns out that might be able to kind of protect the company. I, I read some stat recently that something like 60% um, of startups that raise a Series A never make it to Series B, right? And, and and that is because of a lack of traction, right? The lack of traction is coming from like bad go-to-market strategies or because they have, you know, percent of 10 years ago running around burning through all their capital. So, you know, you know, wisdom has value. And, and I'm not saying he shouldn't hire a full-time VP of marketing soon, but like, let's get the strategy right first and I'll help you hire a great one. So for, for anybody that's out there listening that, uh, maybe, um, they have some young pursuits on their, <laughs> on their staff, 
uh, someone like you can come in and, and essentially kind of be a, in, in some ways, be a mentor and a coach, um, in other ways, um, uh, really help with some of the nuts and bolts um, and direction as well. Yeah, we're, we're I think the there's chief a troublemaker, one or the other. There you go. Um, I think there's a uh, a stigma that of of consultants, right? Um, there's a stigma of consultants that I think the fractional CMO doesn't really fall into, but it may get misunderstood um, as right. So if someone's not familiar with a fractional CMO, they may think, oh, this is just, you know, a consultant. Um, we're going to pay them a lot of money and they're just going to, you know, have have a lot of word salad with <laughs> us and then, you know, and then go on. Um, how would you draw that line? What's the difference in your mind between fractional CMO and just general consultant? Yeah, I think that's a, it's a great question. I don't know how other people do consulting, but when I'm doing consult, because I'm still doing some engagements where, I, you know, where I'm not, running the team where I'm helping the team as a consultant. But the way I do consulting is very hands-on, very like embedded with the team, right? I'm going to their team meetings, I'm in their Slack channels, I'm like hands-on in their tools, and I'm some, you know, a lot of the time like pulling my own reporting, a lot of the time like proposing ideas, but also like very happy to like do the copywriting. So I, I think the main way that I would react to that is I would say, hire better consultants, hire consultants who are, you know, right there shoulder to shoulder with you, who are ready to execute, who are ready to like do, you know, who are not just doing word salad. That's, that's not great. Um, and I think the, the other way to think about it is, is about impact, right? So if I can successfully help you with a pricing strategy that allows us to drive 20% incremental revenue, then that was worth a lot to the company. And like whatever you were paying me was, depressingly small relative to the amount of revenue we drove. Right. Yeah. Have you, have you watched the, uh, the series, the consultant, by the way? No, I think it's on Amazon possibly. It's got uh Christopher Waltz. Oh, okay. Uh, yes. I've, yeah, I've yeah, seen, yeah. yeah. I've never seen oh, it. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Um, really has nothing to do with our conversation <laughs> right now, but it's, it's a great, great ship. All right. Uh, it, it really, it really paints consultants as, as almost demonic, but. Um, oh yeah. I, I, I just read, I think it was in like the economist or something. Some like it was written by like a big three strategy consultant and it was like satire about like, you know, just like the, the terrible, exactly what you're saying. Lots of word salad, lots of like, you know, me see and fancy buzzwords and then, you know, wash your hands of it. Someone else has to do all the execution. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, Prasid, what, um, in your mind, what's, what's the best little nugget of, of wisdom that you've learned in marketing over the years that you can, you can leave with our listeners? I think everyone is interested in experimentation. Folks need to spend a little bit more time on experiment design. Right. And, and there's a, there's a finite number of experiments we're going to have time to run in a year. So really, really make a list of all the experiment ideas, but then actually start to rank them in terms of like level of effort and the estimated impact, and then be picky about the experiments you choose. And then, you know, measure twice, cut once. So like run the experiment once, but like spend, spend the time on the front end saying, what's the question we're trying to answer? And like, what's the decision that we're going to make on the other side of this experiment, right? So for example, you know, people say, well, I, well, I think the, the form should have, you know, three fields and someone else says, no, no, the conversion rate would be better if the form only had one field. All right. So 
if we run this AV test, everything else, we have to keep all the other variables stable, right? We need to just vary that one thing, which is one variant's gonna have three fields, the other variant's gonna have one field. And then on the other side, what are we gonna measure? We're, gonna, we're agreeing we're gonna measure the conversion rate, but really we probably also need to consider the conversion rate a little further down funnel, right? Not just the immediate conversion rate of that form, but like how many people actually purchased, you know, two steps further down from that form. And, and, and so, so, so experiment design, right? Like hold all, all the other variable, variables constant. Let's agree on the front end of like, you know, are, are, are we measuring just the local maximum, but are we also thinking about like the global maxima, which in that example is like how many people actually purchased. And then let's run the experiment properly. And then on the other side, if the one, if the, the one with only one field won, then the decision we are agreeing we're gonna make is from now, you know, at least for the next year or two, we're not gonna revisit this decision. Everything we do is just gonna have the one field. And if you're not ready to make that type of decision on the other side of the experiment, then, then you shouldn't have run it. Or if people are gonna throw darts at the experiment so that you can't make a decision on the other side of it, then the experiment design wasn't good enough. So that, that would be my one, my one suggestion is mm. um, put a little bit more thought into what experiments to run and how to design them so that you're making decisions, right? The, the purpose of let's test it is to make decisions and close doors and then you get that like, you know, when, and, and you learn something and then you get that compound interest that's stacking up on top of itself. So iterate quickly, but that's not an excuse to be haphazard with it. Yeah. Yeah. You want to, you want to be, be picky with the tests you run and you want to be uh, like really sharp with how you design them so you can make confident decisions on the other side. Awesome. Well, Prasid, thank you so much for being on Marketing Trailblazers. Yeah, thank um, you. If, I'm honored. If people want to reach out to you and and uh, uh, contact you in some form or fashion, they can find you on LinkedIn um, and your website. Yeah, it's uh, goairframe.com. And then uh, my blog is thegrowthcmo.co. Fantastic. Awesome. Thank you both for having me. Take care. Take care. Marketing Trailblazers with Jeremy LaDuke and Jess Tackett is produced by me, Lance Pettiford, co-produced by Kaylee Eastep, graphic and web design by Will Lunsford, and guest support provided by Kaylee Swaggerty. Marketing Trailblazers is a production of Epic Nine Marketing Outfitters, helping ambitious brands grow since 2014. If you are a CMO looking to conquer some mountains, or you need a CMO to help get you to the top, then contact Epic Nine and get started with a Basecamp consultation at epic9.com. Want more great content to help fuel your marketing adventures? Sign up for exclusive content and get early access to our Marketing Mountain School content at marketingtrailblazers.com. Mm-hmm.